Happy Mother's Day. And on this Mother's Day, we are continuing uh, through this remarkable Old Testament book of Ruth in a series we are calling Hope as a Way of Life. Why? Because the way that we approach difficulty, suffering, setbacks, trials, and obstacles in life is all based on the hope that lies in our hearts in our lives. And today, in Ruth chapter 2, we're asking the question, how does this hope satisfy the need and longing we have for acceptance? I'll be reading Ruth chapter 2, verses 13 to the end of the chapter, and I'll lead us together in prayer. Ruth chapter 2, verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out what she gave her and she had left over. And had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you here in Ruth chapter 2. We have an incredible, remarkable picture of acceptance. An outsider becomes an insider. And I pray that you would show us all that you have done for us in the gospel to accept us and how that enables us to relate rightly to you and to everything else in this world. And if there's anyone here who does not yet know you, we pray that today would be the day that they trust you and that your church would grow. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, the Washington Post recently listed America's worst fears. 
And at the top, yes, even above, snakes, heights, deep waters, clowns, needles, and confined spaces was the fear of public speaking. And believe me, it's terrible. There's an enormous pressure. To this day, I still get sick to my stomach when I speak publicly. You got to say the right things. Got to be sure that you don't say the wrong things and all the pressure that comes with that. But psychologists reveal that the main reason behind this fear of public speaking is actually the fear of rejection. Of the whole range of difficult human experiences, rejection is one of the worst. It's sort of a social death, and it brings forth a whole host of emotions. When we're rejected, we feel outrage, self-pity, perhaps bitterness, sadness, maybe even pain. Because underneath the fear of rejection is a longing for acceptance. And friends, this morning, if we're honest, the search we have for acceptance is often the driving force behind much of what we do. Get the house, get the raise, get in shape, get the new job, get the reward, get the boy, get the girl, please your parents, please your children, please the crowd, get accepted. Many of us are running on that fuel. The effort that you're putting in right now, in work and in family, is often driven by your need for their approval, their need for your acceptance. But the Bible tells us that this search for acceptance is only satisfied ultimately in a relationship with God. And know this, friends, here's the good news. When you have the acceptance of God, you can face all the rejection in this world and still be satisfied. But how do we find that acceptance? How do we find acceptance with God? How do you keep that acceptance? And how does this acceptance change the way you relate to everything else? Well, here this morning, we have this ancient story of two widows arriving in the land of Israel. And we see in this a picture of how acceptance works for all those who place their trust in the hope of the gospel. And it reveals three lessons that you and I, we need to know about acceptance in light of the gospel. And the first is this, you need to know that the acceptance that you can have through the gospel is first, unearned. Your acceptance is unearned. And we see this in verses 14 through 16. Ruth, we remember, is a Moabite. She is an outsider. She was raised in a culture of anti-God practices and beliefs. But the story told us in chapter one, she married in to an Israelite family who had left the land of Israel due to famine, but only to come years later to experience heartbreak when her husband died. She has now come to the land of Israel with her also widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, who though is an Israelite, she is bitter and she appears to be without hope. 
And upon their arrival back in Israel as widows in need of food and survival, Ruth shows kindness in her willingness to take her chances and to go out and to glean in the harvest fields, picking up all the leftovers because they had no work. They had no social security. They had no government support. And so she just happened as God would have it. She ended up in a field owned by a man who honored God and who takes notice of her. Now, there is some romance. We'll get there next week. So if you're looking for that, just settle down. They will eventually marry. But here, we take note of the way in which his acceptance of Ruth represents God's acceptance of us. Look at Ruth and Boaz's interaction in verses 13 through 14. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and she even had some left over. Friends, the significance of this moment should not be overlooked. Here's why. A meal in that culture revealed the social dynamics of that culture. The way that people viewed one another was often revealed in the way that you would eat with one another. Oftentimes, people from other cultures would be separated and and segregated. But here, we see something completely different. Boaz says to Ruth, who is a foreigner, a Moabite, Boaz says to her, come here and sit at my table. It was more than just giving her food. It signaled her inclusion. She was accepted as an insider, even though she was an outsider. Even though she was born and raised within a culture that had rejected God and she had no rights in the land of Israel, Boaz welcomes her by grace. But not only that, notice the owner not only seats the foreigner, the owner serves the foreigner. He says, sit here at my table. Let me serve you. Let me give you the food that you need. And I want you to note this. She was accepted, not because of what she had done, and not because of where she was from, but because of who she had become through faith in the God of Israel. And friends, that is what points us to the gospel. Because just as Boaz welcomed her as she was, Church, Jesus Christ welcomes us as we are, not on the basis of what you have done, not on the basis of where you are from, but on the basis of who you become through faith in him. And this invitation for Ruth points towards an invitation for us. What a picture of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel, the son of God, the ruler, the master of the world, if you will, he becomes like a servant in order to bring the outsider in. That's what happens in the gospel. God becomes man. God takes on flesh. He lowered himself to serve us. 
He's the true and rightful owner of this world, and yet he lowered himself for our good. Because here's the truth. Because of our sin, our rejection of God, nobody has a right to God's table. But because of Jesus, everyone has an invitation. And this makes me think of, I was thinking of Ephesians all week in reading this, Ephesians chapter two, verses five and six. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul, reflecting on the beauty of the grace of God, he says this, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that an incredible picture? Your salvation is pictured as being seated in the very presence of God, the table of the king, because the king became like a servant for you. Now, here's why I think this is so important practically. It's a word that we need to hear, specifically for those of you who often feel ashamed or for those of you who are just a little bit arrogant. This is the moment when your spouse kind of like elbows you and... For those who are ashamed, for those who are constantly struggling, even this morning, you're like, oh, what does God think of me? Like, oh, I was late for church. I didn't read my Bible like I ought. Like this week, I just freaked out on my parents and, or my children or my friends or whatever it might be. For those of you who are ashamed, remember this morning, your acceptance before God is not based on what you can do. It's, on, it's based on what he has done meaning you have a seat at the table regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you are from. For those of you who struggle with that shame, friends, hear that word. You are accepted by grace. Sadly, we move on in the Christian life and begin to think that we're accepted by our works. And we become discouraged. If that's you, friend, you need to be reminded of the grace of God. But for those of you who are a little bit arrogant... For those of you who are walking around with a little bit of pride, a little bit of, let's say, religiosity, you also need to remember today that you did not get a seat at the table because you earned it. See, many Christians, that they remember the day they got saved, they were saved by grace, but two years later, they're like, ah, I'm kind of saved a little bit by my works. I mean, after all, I'm such a good Christian. I mean, I read like eight chapters of the Bible this morning. I don't know if anyone else in Reality Ventura did that. They probably didn't even read their devotion. Uh-oh. Mm. Guess who's not going to get forgiven today? Because look, and in your mind, you think God is looking down and like, oh, you're my favorite. Oh, you've done so well. Eight chapters. The angels are like, how many chapters? Eight. Oh, my gosh. What a child of God. And you're like, I know. But here's the problem. Not only are you a fool in that moment, that was an intentional offense, by the way, <laughs> but you also begin to look down on others who are not as like having it all together as you. And you begin to reprimand them like, oh, I just can't believe you. I mean, you just don't really pray like I do. I mean, if you only prayed a little bit more like me, I mean, yeah, you, you'd experience more of the Holy Spirit, but whatever, if you want to live a mediocre Christian life, you know, that, that's on you. But as for me and my house, we're going to kill it. <laughs> that's not in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> for those of you who are ashamed, you need to be encouraged. You have a seat at the table by grace. But for those of you who are a little bit religious, proudful, and arrogant, you need to remember 
that you were accepted by grace. So don't act as if you're accepted by your merit. If you think that you're accepted by your merit, you're gonna look down on those who don't have it and notice this is a human problem. In verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Why would he say that? Because there would be a temptation for the workers to be like, well, she doesn't deserve it here. She's a Moabite. She has no place here. And Boaz sees the need to remind the men not to reprimand her. Friends, you are accepted because of who God is. The only qualifications that you need this morning is to recognize that you don't have any qualifications. <laughs> you need to know first that through Jesus, your acceptance is unearned. And that means secondly, that your acceptance is secure. The first aspect of grace and acceptance that we see in the story is that our acceptance through Christ is unearned, but secondly, our acceptance is secure. Notice in verse 16 and 17, she not only eats and is satisfied, but she leaves with more than she can carry. I love this, verse 16 and 17. Even pull out some stocks for her, Boaz says to his workers, from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley that she gathered together, and it amounted to about an ephah. What's an ephah? It is about a few weeks worth of wages in one day. Imagine if you had no food, and you end up in California, you've got nothing to eat, and somebody graciously you know, takes you under their wing and says, I'm taking you to Costco. And you just get the, I get stressed out in Costco just thinking about it. But for others, you love it. You're like, oh, I can't wait to go to Costco. And you're just like, you know, dumping everything in your cart. Like imagine you have no food. And then 10 minutes later, you're in Costco and they're just loading you up for an entire month. And you push that giant Costco cart back to your mother-in-law. You're like, look what I got. This is what was happening. My interpretation of Ruth and Naomi. But there's something more than just generosity at play, friends, and I want you to see this. Yes, on the one hand, this is an extravagant display of generosity from Boaz, but it is actually more than that. His actions on that day, not only giving her a meal and serving her at his table, but loading her up with more and more barley, allowing her to come and to glean continually, ordering his servants to protect her. It was more than generosity. His actions were a guarantee. His actions were a down payment, if you will, of what she can come to expect in the future. He's saying, not only am I gonna bless you today, but I want you to have assurance of what you can come to expect in the future. And this is a beautiful picture of a powerful truth for everyone who trusts in Jesus. I love this. The book of Ruth traditionally was read by the Jewish people during the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. They would read the book of Ruth during the harvest time remembering how God provided food for his people in need. And in the Jewish calendar, it's a reminder of God's gift. Then you fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus Christ has come. He's lived. He's died on the cross. He's risen again. He ascends to heaven. He tells his church to wait for the Holy Spirit. But when did the Holy Spirit come? During the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Pentecost. 
And what happened on that day? God poured out his Holy Spirit. On that day, a different kind of harvest took place, a harvest of souls saved, brought into God's family, and supplied with the Holy Spirit. For anyone who believes on the gospel, you are given the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's not only about power, which it is, it's also about promise. In the book of Ephesians, again, in chapter one, it says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. Here's the deal. Our down payment, our guarantee that the completion of our redemption is on its way, that the best is yet to come is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you now. See, on that day, Boaz didn't only provide for the moment, but for the future. And just like Ruth was sent with a promise that she could feed upon to nourish her along the way, friends, we are to draw our nourishment from the security and guarantee of God's acceptance shown in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Spirit is with you is a sign of your security that you are accepted by him. Sadly, we don't always remember this. We don't always feel like it. We don't always feel as if God accepts us. And in those moments, we need to remember the supply that God has given to us and feed upon it just like Ruth feed, would feed upon the food she was given by Boaz. He was directing her to where she could find her supply. And in many ways, God continually directs us to where we can be refreshed and renewed. For example, the Holy Spirit supplies us, but we're called to be led by and filled with the Holy Spirit. God's word supplies us like food to our souls, but we must give ourselves to reading scripture. Prayer supplies us, but we must pray. But please remember in doing these things, listen, it does not create more security. It enables us to experience the security that we've already been given. So reading your Bible every day doesn't give you more security before God. But it does enable you to experience the security you already have in a way that is new and fresh. Just like my children, when I speak words of, of love to them, when I embrace them, I'm not entering into a new relationship with them. I'm reminding them of something that already exists, their acceptance. And I want us to know this. Yes, you will work. Yes, there is effort in the Christian life. But listen, we do not work for acceptance. We work from acceptance. We are not to engage in the Christian life in such a way that we're trying to earn God's acceptance, but rather in such a way that we know we already have it because of Jesus Christ. You do not work for acceptance, but from acceptance. God has not only given you a seat in the heavenly places, he has also guaranteed our acceptance. And the Holy Spirit is a constant reminder that you were accepted through Jesus Christ. Your acceptance is unearned. Your acceptance is secure. And what happens when we know this? What happens when we start feeding on that and living into that? Well, we answer that by looking at Naomi. And as we do, we learn that your acceptance 
is life-changing. Your acceptance by God through what he has provided will absolutely change your life. The last time we met with Naomi, she was sharing in chapter one all of her bitterness with the community. She was blaming God for everything that had happened in her life, for all of her circumstances. She hardly showed any encouragement to Ruth, who was even willing to go out into the fields and to work for her. But here, at the end of chapter two, new words sound from her lips. Not words of bitterness, but words of blessing. Look at verses 18 and 19. Ruth carried the food back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. What a turnaround for Naomi. But how did she change? Well, the story continues. Ruth does not know too much about the man that she has just met, but Naomi certainly does. Look at the end of verse 19. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. The plot thickens. Boaz is a close relative, a wealthy and close relative. Always good to have. And there are certain obligations that this relative has. He's one of our guardian redeemers. According to ancient custom and law, there lies powerful opportunities for how Boaz can help Naomi and Ruth as relatives. Now, more about that will emerge as the story goes on, and we'll look at that in detail in the next few weeks. But please notice this. Naomi is not changed by the provision of food alone. She begins to change when she sees the source. Because in the kindness of Boaz, she sees the kindness of God. When Boaz shows her kindness, she says, oh my word, God is not against us. God has actually not stopped showing kindness to us. See, this is what changed. She thought that God had abandoned her because she had left the land of Israel, but she now sees the evidence that he had not. And here's why it's so surprising. Even when Naomi was bitter and disgruntled and not seeking after God, God was still seeking after her. And it's when she notices this, this is what begins to transform her. Imagine you're Naomi, you're like, wait a minute, if God was pursuing me while I was bitter and distraught and like totally jaded on God, how amazing is this for my future? Religion says that God will only choose you on your good days, but the gospel says that God accepts you even on your bad days because you are accepted by grace. And so Naomi says, why would you go to another field? Why would you go anywhere else? This place is an evidence of grace. Why would she go anywhere else? She says that in verse 23 to 24. Then Rus the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived 
with her mother-in-law. What a beautiful picture. And in so many ways, we live where Ruth and Naomi are here at the end of chapter two. We're being changed in the present, knowing that the best is yet to come. Now it means even the temporary things that are enjoyed, they can be enjoyed with the utmost satisfaction because they're connected with something greater. You're not looking to them as an end in and of themselves, but rather they're just an evidence of the grace of God, which is how we're supposed to view everything good in this life. So church, hear this. Whether you are as determined and hardworking as Ruth, or you're as jaded and sulky as Naomi, God is the one who pursues us, accepts us, and transforms us. And here's what we see. Her fears of rejection were healed in light of God's acceptance. And that's why it's life-changing, because of what it reveals about God. Though we sinned against him, he has shown his kindness towards us. And that is what changes your life. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, like the rest of us, all of us, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Knowing that God's acceptance towards me is undeserved and yet freely given is the fuel that my heart needs to run towards him and not away from him. Knowing that God accepts us as we are, however, does not mean that he leaves us as we were. Experiencing God's acceptance through Jesus changes us over and over and over again. This is our joy, this is our hope. Through his acceptance of me, through Jesus, now the rebuilding has begun, and though my transformation is not yet complete, I have a guarantee that it is on its way. And so I ask you this morning, where are you looking for acceptance? Right now, be honest. Where are you looking for your ultimate acceptance? Because if it's anything other than God, it will never bring redemption. In what area of your life do you need to know the power of God's acceptance by grace? It is in your job. For some of you, you're working and you're just trying to please your boss or you're trying to get the approval of your, your peers. You're like longing for it. It's what causes you to lose sleep when you don't have it or you're on cloud nine when you do get it, but then you're devastated the next week when you're not given the reward or the pay rise or whatnot. It's because you're trying to find more than just a paycheck. You're trying to find approval. Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in your friendships? In what area of your life do you need a fresh understanding of God's acceptance? Is it in your singleness? Friends, I invite you today to think specifically about that area in which you are longing for acceptance and invite the grace of God's acceptance to change your heart and to change your perspective. Because when you do, you're then able to work in your job, work in your marriage, live in singleness, knowing that you're not working for acceptance, but you are working from acceptance. You won't be driven by fear or an over-desire for their approval because you know that working in God's field, you already have it. So why would you go 
anywhere else. Your acceptance is unearned by grace. Your acceptance is secure by grace. And it is absolutely life-changing because it's based on the gospel. Because in Jesus Christ, on that cross, Jesus faced and experienced the ultimate rejection that our sin deserves so that we could receive the perfect acceptance that he deserves. In him, you are accepted, and that is the only acceptance that matters. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that right now, if in any way we are being driven and fueled to get acceptance from you by our own effort or merit, that you would convict us. That you would turn us away and cause us to rest on and rely upon your grace given to us in Jesus. And I pray that that would relieve us from our fears of rejection knowing that our acceptance is secure would relieve us from the weight of fear that so often plagues us. Father, would you do that today? And I pray that it would change the way that we view all the other people in our lives, that we would remember that if our faith is in Jesus, we're not working for acceptance, we are working from acceptance. May we feed on that even now. And for anyone who does not yet know you, Lord, I pray that today you would save them. And friend, if that's you and you're here in the parking lot or you're joining us online, if that's you and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you think Christianity is just about you doing stuff that one day God will give you the wink and the nod and accept you, know this. Your sin means you're separated from him forever, for all eternity but he sent Jesus to pay for that sin so that you could be accepted by him for all eternity. But today you must receive it. So right now, if that's you, say from your heart, Jesus, save me. I believe you died for my sins on a cross. I believe you rose again. I believe you accept me, not because of what I've done, but because of what you have done. If that's you, friend, pray that right now and invite him to be your savior. Father, would your spirit move as we respond even now. May we be changed by your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, just as Ruth had to eat in the field in which she worked, we are called the feed upon God's grace. And that's what that time is for now, not for us to just move on to the next thing, but be focused on the ultimate thing. God and his grace and what he's done for you. Invite him into those areas in which you're searching for acceptance and rest in his acceptance by grace. If you want to take communion, the elements are at the welcome tents, remembering Christ's death and resurrection for you. If you need prayer, if you want to be relieved of your fear and your people-pleasing and your search for approval, I invite you to be bold and courageous today and stand up and make your way through the parking lot and go to the men and women who are standing by the prayer team signs with their prayer team t-shirts and come and say, I want to be free today. I want to be set free. I've lived so much of my life in this way. I want to be free in Jesus' name. Go and pray and invite the Holy Spirit and watch him do the miraculous. Amen? Let's worship him now.